Well, thank you, Thomas, <clears throat> and uh, and worship team. Um, we're we're so grateful uh, for them today. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a fifth Sunday and Dean is off. You know, I, re- I realized last time, I think it was the last time on a fifth Sunday, I, uh, I said, you know, I'm so glad when Dean takes a day off or something like that, which came out totally wrong. Uh, um, I'm glad that he gets a day off uh, sometimes because he's on all the time. And so I'm glad that he has that opportunity again today. Uh, but we're so thankful that we have um, gifted, passionate uh, musicians to lead us um, when he's here and when he's not. And so thank you, worship team. Well, turn in your Bible um, to Second Timothy 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew there in front of you. You'll find this on uh, page 842 or 884 of the pew Bible, depending on which printing of that you have. And um, I, I prepared a, a different sort of message today, so you'll notice on your bulletin, if you got one, there's not a sermon text uh, listed because I didn't prepare this as a sermon on uh, this passage. So full disclosure on that, and I won't really do it uh, thorough justice um, on that. But anyway, I wanted to, um, as we step into the new year, uh, and as again, it, it just is our sort of default to look ahead at what's coming. Uh, we, we look behind and uh, celebrate some of what's behind and we bemoan some of what's behind and all that kind of stuff. But we, we tend to look ahead. It's a time where lots of people make resolutions, right, of things that uh, they want to do, etc. It's a forward-looking kind of time. And as we look into the new year, I wanted to just share some of how I am thinking about decision-making and direction-setting as we look forward. And so uh, I entitled the message, What Are You Thinking? And, uh, you know, people ask that question sometimes, probably, don't they? What are you thinking? They don't say it out loud, to me, anyway. (laughs) Under, you know little bit more in a whisper at prayer meeting or something, right? What is he thinking? No, I'm kidding. That, that doesn't really happen, I'm quite sure. But, but just to share some about how I'm thinking about um, decision-making and direction-setting as we look into the new year and as we look well beyond the new year. But I realized that as I was um, sort of outlining that message that there was a principle in this text in Second Timothy that really governs how I think even about my thinking. Okay, and so I wanted to look there in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and 14, and um, I'll elaborate a little bit on that before just stepping through some slides on uh, thinking about our future. And so Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, if you can go ahead and put that up on the screen. And I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the Word of the Lord. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you as always for the privilege of entering your presence and entering it together. We thank you for one another and the love we share with one another. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us just a little part of our life with each other. And God, as you would ordain it, you've given us some part of our future with one another as well. And so God, we pray that you would help us to see it with greater clarity and embrace it with all that we have and all that we are. And so as we open your word with the expectation always that there is life and truth in it, we ask that you would reveal that, that you would speak that to our hearts according to our need individually and as a congregation. And so we ask, as we always do, that you would speak, O Lord, your word, by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. You may recall uh, that Second Timothy is the last letter that Paul is known to have written. In fact, as the letter closes out, you know, you get very much a sense of that. I've fought the good fight. Um, I've finished the course, etc. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He's, his, his time is coming to an end. He has that expectation. He's ready to pass the baton off to Timothy. And he's writing to Timothy, this young pastor or a sort of apostolic emissary or whatever, um, in Ephesus. And you may remember something about Ephesus in our study of Acts. Uh, in chapter 20, Paul, as he's um, finishing up his third missionary journey, heading down to Jerusalem, he makes, sort of bypasses Ephesus and calls for the Ephesian elders to himself. And he says there, I'm going to flip back to uh, Acts 20 there. He, he, he says to them, pay careful attention. This is uh, Acts 20, verses 28 to 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he's saying to the elders at Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock because from among you are going to arise men speaking twisted things and deceiving people and leading people astray. From among the elders. This is the church then that Paul sends Timothy to. The kind of church that every young pastor would dream of leaving. Right? And so he said to Timothy at the, at the beginning of his first letter to Timothy, in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1, he says, Paul says to him, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
I urge you to remain at Ephesus. And I take that to mean because everything in him wanted to leave Ephesus, wouldn't you? Stay at Ephesus so you can deal with difficult people all the time, right? Difficult leaders so you can correct false teaching all the time. And so as that letter unfolds, he, he, he tells them about um, getting good leadership into place. A, you know, appoint, appoint good qualified uh, elders and deacons. He says things like, uh, until I come, this is chapter four, verse 13 of, of uh, 1 Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Down in verse 16 of that same chapter, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In this, in this context, devote yourself to public reading of the scriptures. Pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. That's where stability and health is going to be found. And he closes that first letter the same way we just read he opens his second one. At the end of chapter 6, verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you, he says. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. He, he is not, uh, in fact, let me just say in, in, in 2 Timothy, not only does he open that way, but down in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me read that again if you, in case you weren't following along there in your own Bible. First, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is actually the verse... Uh, that is the, the, the basis, the foundation for Timothy 2 International, uh, which is a teaching ministry, a teaching mission ministry. Uh, for those of you who are part of our congregation, you're familiar with that. Uh, others may not be. But the, but the idea being that the future of the church, the future health of the church, uh, lies in the sound teaching of the word of God passed on from one person to the next person to the next person. And that's, that's, what, that, that's sort of the message here um, as 2 Timothy opens that, that Paul says, this is the, the deposit I received from Jesus that's been entrusted to me. Now you guard it, Timothy. It's been entrusted to you. And teach others who can teach others. Called to 
to guard to guard the deposit that has been entrusted uh, to leaders of the church. And there is, there, there is something in there that as, as, we, as we look into the future as a local church, there is something right here that every church that looks into the future with any clarity ought to see. And that is that if we're going to have a future, uh, it, it li- it will, there will not be one without, apart from sound teaching passed on to people who can be sound teachers, who can pass it on to sound teachers. You're tracking with me, I hope. And so guard the deposit. Guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. I, uh, I, I, I may touch on this as I, as I go along, but, um, but I have my own, you know, sort of biases and bents like anybody else does. I'm a, I'm a teacher uh, by, you know, gifting to some degree and then also uh, some of my vocational background as a teacher. And I, I certainly have a bent and a bias in that direction. But, uh, but one thing that just gets my goat, so to speak, I don't know if that's a thing, uh, can, can your goat be gotten? I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> but one, one, one thing that just gets me is when people um, are lax and indifferent about the teaching ministry of the church. As if that's just a divisive thing. I don't want to make a big deal about that. Never mind that the word of God says keep a close watch on it guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. I had a uh, conversation um, sort of impromptu down the hall um, couple, just, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, um, Steve Curtis and I crossed paths and, and as we're getting ready for uh, Sunday service. And he pointed out something um, in a room down the hall here, one of our offices and sort of a conference room of sorts. Well, we have some hang wall hangings that are just like artifacts of our church's history different little documents and that kind of thing you may have seen some of those if you haven't i'd invite you to wander down there sometime encourage you to do that uh just get a a sense of of some of that but one of the things is a timeline of the church's history and it begins with um a sunday school ministry the first Presbyterian church downtown started in Myrtle Grove, meeting twice a month in 1920. And Steve connected the dots that uh, ought to have obviously connected in my own head that I hadn't just really thought about too much. That just means we are approaching 100 years of ministry here at Myrtle Grove. As we enter into 2019, we're getting the running head start a long run and head start uh, to a, to a 100 year celebration of ministry of this church before it was even a church. Okay, but the ministry began in 1920. It was constituted as a church in 1945. So we'll have another 100 year celebration 25 years after that. Yeah, right. I mean, whatever, what, yeah, whatever it takes to have a, a good party every once in a while, right, Jerry? 
But part of what that says is there was vital ministry going on here long before anybody here can remember. Right? In other words, it, it ha- it's lived longer than anybody here. Anybody here who remembers the good old days, there were 50 years before your good old days. This is my point. And so there is uh, not only this um, kind of universal truth of this, uh, of this passage we just read and its application to any church to guard the deposit of the teaching of the word of God that has been entrusted to the church. But that has also been passed along one generation at a time within this church. Are you following my, my thinking? In other words, there is, there is a deposit in a sense uh, at a local church level that has been entrusted to us one generation at a time that we're continuing to steward. As a matter of fact, the word deposit here refers to um, something, a, a possession of someone else that would be given to someone to take care of with the expectation it's going to be returned in the same condition. Maybe you've had that responsibility before. I never really liked that responsibility, taking care. Like, I never really want to drive somebody else's car. I mean, I, I usually take fine care of my own. Like, it's not like I get in lots of wrecks or uh, any for that matter. I'm just afraid the first one's going to be somebody else's car, right? Because you're supposed to return it in the condition uh, that they left it to you in. Sometimes I've felt the same way about other people's children. Uh, of course, I, I was a school administrator for 13 years. I was responsible for taking care of their children every day and uh, was always a little bit afraid we were not going to return them in the condition that uh, they were entrusted to us in. But that's part of, part of what's being conveyed here is that there is, that the, that the faith has an heirloom quality to it. That it is given to us, not for our recreation, not for our amusement, but for our use and employment in the purposes that he's called us to but for us also to guard and take care of the handoff to another generation. To guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us. And so as we then uh, bring that sort of sense of um, both duty and privilege of stewarding a hundred years worth of ministry here and beyond. How do we think about uh, decisions that will determine the health and vitality um, of our future? And so, as I said, I've, I've called this one, I, I'll turn this on and then 
watch things move. Okay, so I've called this, what are you thinking? And I would say a whole lot of what I'll say, if you've been here um, the whole time I've been here, uh, a lot of this is not really new. I've either, either said explicitly or sort of talked in this direction um, the whole time I've been here, and which isn't a terribly long time, but anyway. Um, but, but it could be summed up under these two goals, if you will. The two, two things that our church, I think, needs to do is to get centered and get mobilized. Now, again, I, that's, I didn't just come up with that. <laughs> I've been talking in this direction for a long time. As a matter of fact, my first sermon series, for those who are here, remember it was on the subject of unity. Um, and, 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 and one of the themes in that sermon series, one of the messages in particular, um, emphasized that unity doesn't have, like we don't just look forward to the one day when you're just gonna come around to my way of thinking and then we'll be in unity. Well, I do look forward to that day, but I'm not counting on it. <laughs> Uh, but, but you know, and it's not that we're someday just both going to be struck by uh, all the, the, the desire for the same things and that kind of thing. That's not going to happen. Unity happens when I give up my interests in preference to yours and you do the same, right? Giving of ourselves for one another not clinging to things that we would claim are rightfully ours and so forth. The same, the same way healthy marriages uh, thrive. That it requires a giving, a giving up of something a constantly, as I said in one sermon, you know, a gift exchange, right? That we come, every time we come together as, uh, as a congregation, it's sort of a gift exchange. I give up my interest, you give up yours. And we just have a big old party because it's the only way that unity Will happen. So, uh, point being, I've I've been I've been talking about that uh, from the very opening sermon series, but getting centered um, and getting mobilized. So we want to we want to move uh, we want to move to the center and we want to move out. We want to move out while we're moving to the center. I mean, either way you look at it, just move. Number one, that's an operative word. Move, right? We want to be moving. We want to be moving out and moving to the middle. As new people come into our congregation, from a variety of on-ramps, so to speak, um, that, that this church is a welcoming place where they can find uh, a home for themselves. But we always want to be pointing them to the center and out the door. Get centered and get mobilized. And I would say that uh, here's kind of The implication of that is that we're putting up road signs that say lane ends, merge left ahead. Right? That if we're going to be a unified congregation, if we're going to be centered together, uh, that we have to begin to merge traffic, so to speak. Um, one, of the th one of the characteristics of Myrtle Grove as a church, we're we're a broadly evangelical church. There are people, have always been, from, from just a wide variety of backgrounds um, that have come here from different denominational backgrounds and all kinds of things or whatever. In fact, a couple of things you've, you've maybe experienced about that. Number one, 
Um, you could talk to two different people and wonder, how do they go to the same church? Like, and, and get along with each other. I mean, you know, that they're from so, uh, so widely different backgrounds. And yet, it's one of the wonderful things about our congregation. But, but I would say, to kind of extend the metaphor here, there's a sense in which, you know, we've got eight lanes of traffic or eight lanes on the highway and it's just like, what, drive in whatever lane you want, you know? Sometimes we go way over to the right side of the lane, outside lane, then we go spend the season way over on the inside of the lane. And what I'm thinking, I just told you, I'm just telling you what I'm thinking. You don't have to agree with it. Um, but what I'm thinking is, our future is in the center lanes. Moving to the center and moving out from the center. Uh, rather than being scattered in all eight lanes of traffic, much less just grazing <laughs> in all eight lanes. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, a little photo or, vi or videos of um, like a, you know, sheep or cattle that just sort of spill out of the pasture onto the road and block traffic. Have you ever seen a picture of that? So they're in the road, they're just not going anywhere. We certainly don't want to be that, right? We don't want to be parked in eight lanes of traffic. We want to be we want to be moving in the center lanes. And so, uh, let me just unpack that a little bit. What, what does that entail, getting centered? And it's three things here. I'm going to just put them all up here and kind of move quickly. That it has implications for what we teach, how we develop leadership, and it has some implications for how we worship. It has others as well. Uh, but those are three primary ones that come to mind. So with regard to um, teaching, one of the reasons that I've said before, again, this really isn't news if you've been here and tuned in, uh, I preached last year through the book of Acts, and it will be my habit to preach through books of the Bible primarily. That will be primarily my approach to preaching, although not exclusively that. But one of the reasons for that is what we just read. Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you, the whole deposit. That as you, as you study through books of the Bible, um, you let God say all that God wants to say, all that he has already said, uh, rather than just sort of combing through selectively um, and, and picking out what's either, either you want to hear or what you think, even what you discern uh, maybe you need to hear. But that that preaching through um, books of the Bible allows God to say what God has said. You get a sense of what is the deposit that we've been entrusted with. Um, and teaching that, of course, preaching that from the perspective of what we profess to believe as evangelical Presbyterians so that we get centered as a congregation. You know, the word of God will change you if you give it a chance. Can anybody say amen to that? Have you had that experience? Um, it, the word of God will change you if you give it an opportunity. And so, so just reading it, studying it, listening to it over time will change your life and it'll change the way you think. In fact, it's been one of my, um, I don't know, sort of, 
mantras or, or, or mottos from a leadership standpoint. This is true in the church and Christian ministry and true other places too, but you change the way people live by changing the way they think. And so preach the Bible, let the Bible change the way people think. Uh, let the Bible reshape people's affections. Because if the word of God can't change you, I don't stand a chance. That's, that's been another one of my mantras, right? There's nothing I can say. There's no strategy clear, uh, clever enough. I can't, I can't offer you enough, you know, Starbucks gift cards or whatever to incentivize you to do uh, anything other than what you want to do. The word of God, though, can. But we want to get centered as a gospel-centered, spirit-filled Presbyterian church. That's a language uh, I've been using, we've been using, just to define, identify our church. We're gospel-centered. We believe the gospel needs to be proclaimed and believed. That changes people's lives. We're a spirit-filled church. And we're a Presbyterian and Reformed church. And that, need, that, needs to, that needs to define what the center lanes look like that we're merging traffic to. That doesn't, as I said before, people enter the, the church from all kinds of on-ramps, right? There's no uh, false expectation that everybody suddenly embraces all the same things, right? That, that never happens. Do you know anybody who like totally agrees with you <laughs> about everything? I don't, I haven't met that person, you know, but we're always pointing to the center. And, and it's, it's one of the reasons why, I'll, I'll go back to highlighting the discipleship classes we have coming up um, in the winter, spring semester, the, the two new classes. Uh, one is a class on the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit that Chuck Long will teach. So for those who, uh, especially for those who, who haven't really ever received teaching about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, the power ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you will. There's a, a class that introduces people to that and develops an understanding of that. Because that's part of who we are as a church. That's part of, at the center, those are, that's in the center lanes of who, who we are as a church. But we're also a Presbyterian and Reformed church that might not have gotten as much uh, playtime you know, airtime, so to speak, um, over the years. But the, the, other, the other new class that Steve Curtis primarily is teaching, I know Dan Sonnenberg and Brian Slater will be contributing to that as well. But it gets to, again, as we look at the Bible, what are the big ideas and themes um, that we see as those who are Reformed and Presbyterian in our understanding of the Bible? Because cause those, you know, those of us, especially in leadership in our church, it's not like we just, uh, you know, became Presbyterian because like we entered free agency and we got traded here or something, you know, like we were on uh, another team and then, you know, our contract expired or whatever. And, uh, you know, we didn't get enough, good enough deal. And so we, you know, went down the street and, and, uh, and just decided to sign on somewhere else. But our convictions align. We look at the Bible and we... We understand it to teach a certain set of things. What is that, okay? Because that's, that's the deposit that has been entrusted to us. 
I mean, there's a reason why, there's a reason why Paul was so emphatic about take care of it. Guard it. But there are false teachers among you and false teaching is easier to come by than sound teaching is. I think you've heard me say before, you know, th- this, is, this is just true in this universe that left to themselves, things always fall apart. They never fall together. Some of you, speaking of New Year's resolutions, have resolved to get in better shape this year, haven't you? You did not resolve at the beginning of 2018 to get in bad shape. It just happened. Because left to themselves, things fall apart. They never fall together. It always is more effort. It's constant effort, disciplined, ceaseless effort to stay healthy. It takes no effort at all to get unhealthy. And that is as true with, this, with the teaching of the church as it is with anything you know about in your life, your physical uh, health, your relationships, and anything else. So, so that our teaching needs to get us centered. The second one is leadership. So we need to d- develop leaders and prospective future leaders who themselves are centered and grounded in our faith. <clears throat> and who are actually capable of guarding the deposit. Those are the leaders of our church. We are, what makes us, you've heard me say before, and you've been around a while, you know this, what makes Presbyterians Presbyterian is that we're elder-ruled. That's what the word means. We could call ourselves Eldarian, I guess. A presbyter is just, it comes from the Greek word for elders. We're just ruled by elders and a council of elders. And those are the leaders um, to whom the deposit is entrusted. And, and they need to be centered and grounded in our faith so that they're capable of guarding the deposit. And, we, and we, part of what we need is a teaching track that develops leaders along uh, those lines. So... Um, I won't elaborate on this a whole lot. One of the things uh, you know is we ordain officers. One of the the questions we ask is, do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith as the system of doctrine that the Bible teaches? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith, again, that's a a summary of when we read the Bible, this is what we understand it to say. It's not like a thing where the inquisitors sit people down at the table with a sword at their neck and say, sign the document. But rather just a summary of what we understand the Bible to teach. It was written over a, a 10-year period, I want to say, the Westminster Assembly. I don't remember the exact specifics of this, but the Westminster Confession and the Catechisms was, de- was developed over a 10-year period clergymen from all around England and Scotland met. If it took them 10 years to articulate it, it will take you more than 10 minutes to understand it. And for somebody to be brought forward as a prospective leader and then handed a robust statement of faith, you say, yeah, I'm good with that. 
No, that will not do, friends. That will not do. And so, and so we, we need just teaching ongoingly in, in the church where there's, there's, there's ways that people, even if they don't think of themselves as stepping forward as candidates for leadership, but just to be developed along those lines so that we are raising up future generations of potential leaders, that there are, as he said to Timothy here, uh, people that faithful men that you can entrust this to who will be able to teach others also. There need to be others and others and leaders to emerge from them. The third thing I mentioned here is worship, and I'm not going to elaborate this point um, a whole lot. It is just to say we, we've had conversations even sort of behind the scenes um, about how we, how, how these uh, principles of being a gospel-centered, spirit-filled Presbyterian church, the driving in the center lane, so to speak, how that informs decisions about how we give shape to worship. And, and already some of just little minor tweaks um, to our, the order of worship um, that reflect that. And again, if I, if I uh, had more time, I would take more time on that. Um, <clears throat> that's not most important today to say, uh, except just that it does have implications there and we're, we're talking about those and working those out. Uh, the, the other thing I said was not just getting centered, but getting mobilized. I really spoke to this one more at length a few weeks back as I closed out the Sermon on Acts and talked about missional communities. The whole, in fact, I'll, I'll illustrate uh, part of the point I'm making today with the Acts sermon series to say, um, part of the reason I preached the book of Acts was because of the conviction that we needed to get mobilized. And, and that the, the church in the book of Acts was a church on mission. So let's just unpack it and, and find out what we see there. But as we close that out, uh, I, I mentioned missional communities as an application we would make to that whole sermon series and how we would try to give a framework to, to sort of walk that out because it really is more about embracing and adopting a missional lifestyle, not just a program. It is shifting gears so that you, you orient yourself as a church and as a, as a member of the church to just live on mission, to have a lifestyle where I'm just on mission all the time. My eyes are lifted to see the fields that are white for harvest, so to speak, that I'm seeing where God is already at work and joining him there. And just living on mission and missional communities uh, are, are gonna be one of the, that, that's gonna be one of the, the sort of the major framework that we use to try to get us there. And I'll just mention January 20th, uh, my plan is to have a luncheon, informational sort of meeting We'll, we'll serve food to get you there. Uh, but at, right after service um, on January 20th, so we'll just invite people to spill right over into Fellowship Hall. And uh, kind of at the, the, at the end of lunch, we'll just share some information about um, missional communities in more depth. Again, I, I, I uh, spoke a little bit about that a few weeks ago in that sermon, but we'll, we'll really talk more about... Um, what those really are and what our next step is going to be for those who, who want to join us there. And I'll say again, um, 
neither I nor anybody else has the unrealistic expectation that everybody at the end of the amen is going to say, yes, I'm on board and get on board or get to the center or get mobilized. You get what I'm saying? I mean, that just doesn't happen that way. But it's not going to stop us from getting mobilized and getting centered. We're always going to be moving to the middle and we're going to be moving out. And we're going to be moving out and moving to the middle as we move. But we're going to be moving and inviting people to join us there because that's where our future is for sure. This church, uh, I think, is, is wonderful to make note of, but that this church got its start 99 years ago by a Presbyterian church on mission. That is where our beginnings were found by some people from a downtown church who came out to the country (laughs) at that time to start a Sunday school to reach young people initially twice a month. And here we are from a church on mission. So let's get centered and mobilize, guard the deposit. Because, you know, when I'm 75 years old, I want to be back to celebrate that 125th year, which will be the 100th year um, as a church. I say I'll be back. I might just still be here. I hope to make it at least to 70, but, you know. Uh, But I want to be part of that celebration. And and I hope my children and and grandchildren and maybe some of our great-grandchildren even wherever they are, that their generation will be here to celebrate the 150th year. In Proverbs 13, 22 says, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I think we all hope, as any, as any church would hope, that when our children's children Um, arise to take the mantle of leadership in the church that we don't leave them just stories of how great our church once was but that we leave them a great church can you say amen to that well let's pray together Father thank you so uh, sincerely for allowing us to be a part of, of a work you've been doing for now approaching 100 years. And God, we, we, we just ask that that fact alone, knowing that fact alone, would cause us to look at 2019 differently because it's leading us into 2020 and beyond. So Lord, would you awaken us? Would you reignite passions inside of us? An insatiable appetite for your word, a longing to be filled and empowered by your spirit. God, that we might step out into our community as bold and proclaiming the word of God as that first century church was because we are as confident as they were 
that the Holy Spirit is with them and will do work in powerful ways among people. We do want there to be a next chapter and a next chapter and a next chapter in an ongoing way for this church. So Lord, would you just show us what we need to do to steward it well, to guard the deposit that's been given to us. As a church that's centered knowing who we are and mobilized knowing what you're all about. And use us as vessels to change lives in a changing community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.